Joker had a very serious plot that kind of backfired on him, but it was still, he was, it was a very uh, well thought out, well executed plot to really drive Batman crazy. And what it came down to with Silva was, I'm just going to blow up your house and stuff. <laughs> and you're like, okay, that was your master plan. This is Movie Bite, a weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, lampoon, movies, TV shows, culture, and more. I'm your host, TJ Draper, and I'm joined by my co-host, Joseph Darnell. Hey, how is everybody doing? All right, Joseph. Well, we have an interesting episode ahead of us. You ready to dive in? Yeah, I'm super excited. We get to talk about a lot of interesting movie stuff today. Yeah, um, let's let's yeah. start out with the host. Uh, okay, well, yeah, you know, the uh, Twilight needs no introduction, but do you, know, do you want to tell people what the host is real quick? Well, you might be better at that, Joseph, because you've read the book and I have not. Okay, so uh, ladies and gentlemen, in case you didn't know, uh, Twilight author Stephanie Meyer has written one other novel thus far. I know she's working on a few others, but very little is known what they're about. Uh, this other book that she wrote is called The Host, and it's arguably her better novel, or I guess I guess I should say her own better original story. It's a story about this uh, young woman in a sci-fi world where the world has been, uh, what would you say, uh, taken over by aliens. Um, it, it, like every, all these aliens have used uh, humans as their hosts, and so they've taken all over the whole planet using humans as their hosts. Uh, these alien creatures kind of look like spiders, and they get into the spinal column, and they latch on to a human and then they uh, they just live inside of us, and they run our bodies. So anyway, it's a pretty interesting story, interesting sci-fi, because it has a huge human element, and it's not as weird as it sounds. It's not as crazy as Attack of the Body Snatchers or some sort of sci-fi horror film. And I'm kind of looking forward to this. We got a trailer up on Movie Bite, and... I don't know. It just it looks like a better production than I was expecting. It doesn't look like it has the cheesiness of the Twilight movies. Um, I read all of the Twilight novels just because of their pop culture nature seemed to be relevant. And then I read The Host, and I have to say that it was really captivating to me. Mm. Uh, in one book, it summed it all up. It didn't go on with a longer saga. But to me, it was just a more complete and thought-provoking and better read than Stephanie Meyer's earlier books. It seemed to me that she had learned a a thing here and there uh, from the experience of writing the Twilight series, and she polished her her writing style. So, Hmm. there you go. I I have to say, I didn't see that there was... Okay, let me say this. It seems like there was less cheese than Twilight, certainly in the Twilight trailers, but it looked to me like there was still going to be a little bit of cheesy love stuff going on, which is my major complaint with Twilight is the love stuff is a little cheesy. I, I, I've said before, uh, at the risk of repeating myself, I like the story of Twilight. I don't like the execution in a lot of ways. I don't like uh, the cheesiness of the love story. Um, this looks to have less of it, but it looked to me like there was still going to be some cheesy Stephanie Meyer love stuff in it, but I could be mistaken. No, and, and- I, think the, I think the cheesiness is there. But the cheesiness will hopefully be a bit more akin to, well, I mean, I mean, no disrespect to an American classic or something like that, but uh, 
uh, hopefully this cheesiness is a bit more like the love story of the Titanic film hmm. than a Twilight film because okay. it, it, it's a bit more epic and it's not as uh, it's not as unusual like a, twi- a, a, a vampire romance, if you will. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be more. Uh, there'll be a warmer reception to this from sci-fi fans in general. Yeah, I would think so because uh, you know I'm kind of into sci-fi and fantasy, and that's why I think I appreciate Twilight to some extent more than others um, because I I uh, like fantasy just as much as sci-fi, and I like the blending of them. This looks to blend fantasy and sci-fi very well. The trailer certainly piqued my curiosity, and now I want to go read the book, which I've, I've actually had on my list. It's just that I don't read that many books anymore with all the work that I'm doing and things that I'm doing. I do want to go read the book now, and I will do that. Uh, interestingly, I, I, the, whole, uh, the whole concept of the aliens uh, taking over the bodies as, and using humans as hosts and even the glowing eyes reminded me of the Gould from Stargate SG-1. Have you ever watched Stargate SG-1, Joseph? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, in Stargate SG-1, the whole premise uh, is that the there's an alien called the Gould, and they're, they're not spider-like like you described. They're actually more snake-like, but they burrow into your neck and take control, and the humans are the host, basically. And their eyes will even glow, although it's not a consistent thing. It's like they glow when they want them to or get angry or something. Uh, you know, how they would use that dramatic element. <clears throat> and, uh, it, but the, conceptually, it's like very much the same. So I, I found that interesting. And I was, I'm a big fan of Stargate SG-1. Uh, shame on you for not having seen it, Joseph. Mm, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I am a sci-fi fan, but I'm sorry. I, I, I'm very picky about my sci-fi. It, uh, to me, sci-fi is kind of like uh, the vegetables on my plate. And I just pick through them a lot. And then I find myself, you know, he just dumping a few in the trash when nobody's looking and saying, "Yeah, great, healthy food. I got it. Got to love it." <laughs> you know, oh, I, just, I can't get into it. You, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. I can get into it. I just don't go for a, a lot of sci-fi cliche. And I think that a sci-fi fan is far more forgiving than I am when it comes to the cliche. Okay. Well, my I have bi- I have to amend my statement that I'm a sci-fi fan. Uh, I am a uh, somewhat of a sci-fi fan. I'm not like a, I don't like hard sci-fi, and I'm not a huge like you know everything sci-fi. I must read or, or or ingest in some way, but I do like a lot of sci-fi. I like Stargate SG One, yes, for the sci-fi elements, but for the story and for the characters. And and to me, that's what any good show is about: a story and characters. So I think yeah, you should give it another that- chance. Yeah, in that way, I think it's a bit more like Battlestar Galactica. It's something you can really sink your teeth into, whether you are a sci-fi fan or not. You just have to get past the first few episodes that felt like they would never end, and um, then you can really get into it. Like any show, it had to find its uh, find its footing, but it did that very quickly, I felt. Um, I, and it's also, in terms of comparing it to Battlestar Galactica, it's a much lighter show. It, it's, it's not heavy like Battlestar Galactica was. Battlestar Galactica, I, I really liked it, but I always felt when I was done watching it like I needed to to watch something lighter or something. You know, it was a very heavy, weighty, sad, 
uh, experience to watch Battlestar Galactica. You know what I mean? Are, you, you, oh, yeah. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Because, you know, ultimately, <laughs> um, especially when you get to the end of the series, oh, all right, I don't even want to go there. All right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we, we probably could just dedicate a whole episode to the Battlestar Galactica. We could rationalize it because they have a TV movie or something like that, right? <laughs> I, I would like to, actually. Uh, like I've said before, at some point I wouldn't mind discussing TV shows on this, uh, on Movie Bite more. But, uh yeah, I would like to do that at some point, but that's not for today's episode. So, the host, no. I really enjoyed the trailer. Very interesting. Uh, you the know. One thing that I am a little um, speculative about this film is that if you haven't read the novel, it's probably not going to make as much sense as, say, the Twilight movies. Because, yes, the Twilight movies are ridiculously crazy long, and if you condense that into a movie, a lot of the stuff is going to be lost from the book in the way of details. So a lot did of you the mean audience, to say, did you mean to say the Twilight novels are ridiculously long? Did did I say the other way around? You said movie. Yeah, I meant the novels. Okay, yeah. I, okay, that makes more sense now. <laughs> yeah, that does. Um, now the host, though, it, one of the big reasons why I found it so appealing was that the main character ends up being one of these hosted people. And for the majority of the story, she is like trapped within her own body, having a conversation with the alien that's in her, in her body and using her. Mm. And it becomes a situation where the two have to get to know each other and then they have to get along. Then they start empathizing with each other and then ultimately looking at everything in a different light from the other humans that are trying to survive this uh, post-apocalyptic world where aliens have taken over. And so the alien in this body and the girl have a better appreciation for what's going on in their world. And I have a hard time believing that the movie's going to be able to sell that in cri- that critical part of the book. So if uh, if you want to enjoy this film, I would recommend you catch the novel first. Yeah, and I definitely want to do that too. So I will probably try to find it on uh, an audiobook, probably on audible.com. So, uh, hey, uh, Joseph, I did not get a chance to review the outline that much. I, I basically, I walked in from work, uh, ate and sat down and we started recording the show. May I add to the outline? Uh, sure, it's your show. Uh, well, it's yours too. There's actually two items that I wanted to discuss and we can discuss this one now. First, uh, I linked... Yesterday, a post on express.co.uk, which I understand perfectly well as kind of a uh, uh, British tabloid. I get that. But I, I linked it uh, where they said Darth Vader to rise from the ashes. Did you see that post? Yes, I did. <laughs> I hope not. I really hope not. And that's the only reason I posted it there was to express my displeasure at the very notion. Right. We really don't want to see some uh just frankly can i call it what i think it is wackadoosh i mean just just <laughs> out there it's like what are we thinking why did why did this happen after all these years you can't seriously believe that george lucas has been plotting this scheme to revive vader after all these years in episode seven i, I should oh i should really hope not um just the idea turns me off i think that if the movie if we find out from viewing a trailer or hearing a review that that's what they intend. I, I frankly would be inclined to just ignore the movies altogether. I agree. If, if I get any idea that Darth Vader is coming back in bodily form, uh, and, and we're talking about not a, not another prequel or something in between or before or anything like that. But if, if he comes back in bodily form after return of the Jedi, I would have to say, I don't, 
think I would go see that movie. But I, I really seriously doubt that they would do that. I really do, actually. I, hope <laughs> I sure not. hope so. I don't think it's uh, in keeping with. Can can we jump to another one of the stories that we have for this episode? Uh, sure. Okay, because this kind of ties into this other story. I'm really excited to hear about the screenwriter that they've chosen for episode seven. He's already been announced, and apparently, he's already working on the screenplay. But he has already written the outline for episodes seven, eight, and nine. And nice. you know, like we mentioned before, George Lucas had a rough outline for these installments from many, many years ago. And I guess Lucas may have toyed with them over the years. No one really knows. But now this, uh, this screenwriter, he's Michael Arndt. And Arndt has been uh, attributed for being the primary screenwriter for Toy Story 3, as well as several other rather successful movies. Um, but the most notable to me appeared to be Toy Story 3. That's why I mention it. And... Michael, what's kind of cool about him, he's a relatively younger guy. He's not as old as George or Steven Spielberg and the like, or or the actors, frankly, that are probably going to be involved in the story. But Michael has been a longtime fan of Episode 4, A New Hope, the very first Star Wars movie that was made. And apparently, he has gone around the country and given several talks about the art of the storytelling in that film. He upholds it as one of the greatest of all time, talking about its effectiveness in just the very first scene and explaining how that movie works on so many levels to engage the audience in a peculiar fast pace. Um, So I'm really excited that this guy has a, a taste for one of our favorite Star Wars films, that he's thinking about this probably in light of his favorite star Wars films that appeared not to be the prequels. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> we don't need to go there, but I mean, just imagine <laughs> if Spielberg and Disney had chosen someone who, who in the slightest said, Oh, you know, the trill, the prequel trilogy isn't that bad. <laughs> we all would have been uh, gagging and, and uh, yeah, it would not have been pretty. The, the nerds would have all probably burned down uh, Lucas ranch and, and uh, Storm Disney and stuff. but Yeah, but with Arndt, I feel much better about where they're taking the story. So yeah. with that in, in perspective, I'm, I'm thinking it's less likely that we'll see a Darth Vader in bodily form in the next trilogy. But I, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. It completely nullifies Vader's path to redemption. But at the same time, it could be in keeping with this other little plot thread that a lot of people keep pointing back to. And that was that supposedly Anakin Skywalker was supposed to bring a balance to the force. (laughs) And if that's true, he technically didn't do that at the end of Return of the Jedi. And a lot of people speculate. Wait, 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 wait. Is this a notion that was around before the prequels that that Anakin was supposed to bring balance to the force? I thought that was a prequel thing. Well, it is a George Lucas thing. Right, exactly. uh, uh, I think you've just made my point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Yeah, so, you know, I I don't have as much of a bad feeling about this anymore. Okay. Let's just say that. Okay, well, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, we'll we'll certainly, as geeks and nerds, be watching with bated breath to see how this goes. I, I I do hold out some hope. Um, not a lot, but I do hold out some hope that, that something will come of the, of, uh, Star Wars. So we'll see. 
All right. The other thing that I wanted to add that's not yet in the outline, Joseph, but uh, I'll just mention it briefly, is the new Oz the Great and Powerful trailer. I'm, I'm kind of excited about this film, actually, at this point. Oz the Great and Powerful by Disney. Um, okay, so what's getting you excited about it? I don't know. Just this, the visuals and, and, and the... Uh, boy, how do I explain this? Um, I, well, I think, here, let, I think can, visually... Can I, Go ahead. Well, I, may, maybe I can help spur your ideas because he, here's my thoughts about this film. Um, it's uncalled for. Now, this is just this is just me, okay? But there's a lot of different treatments about who the Wizard of Oz is, what he was, his backstory, how he came to Oz. It seems like every uh, every few years, there's been a new screenwriter or a new uh, writer, you know, for for various, you know, publications, or a new playwriter, someone who's come along and given their own spin to the Wizard of Oz. It seems to be the the most fictional expanded universe of the last century. I mean, even more than Star Wars, because Frank Baum, the original author, he wrote so many books about the their the Oz world himself. And in so doing, it appeared at times that he contradicted other things in his other books. Like it appeared that in some ways he introduced new concepts that didn't fit the Oz world in, in creating so many books. But then after he passed on, there were so many other people that came along and added their own stories. I just, uh, I find Dorothy fascinating and her um, her friends that she made in Oz. Those like the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, uh, the Scarecrow, and maybe even the Witches, but or maybe even the Munchkins. <laughs> but I just don't find the wizard worthy of his own movie. See, and, I disagree. And, it, and if they're giving him his own story, I imagine that they're going to make him a more likable character than he was in the traditional story, which means that they're actually changing the, per- the person that is the wizard, that he was supposed to be this humbug, that he was supposed to be a coward, that he was a, a con artist to, to, to some extent. So just, just by listening to the trailer, it sounds like this is not the same wizard that we know from the past. And then the glimpses of the, the witches just strike me as, oh, I don't know. So you're, you're not liking this at all? No. The witches remind me of the evil stepmother and the uh, no. Snow White and Huntsman. No. All right. Well, okay. I, I think that, uh, okay, I'm approaching this as not necessarily a fan. Like, I did not like the original Wizard of Oz movie. I, orig- I say original, but the Judy Garland Wizard of Oz movie. I didn't like it. I still don't like it. It's not not my favorite movie. It's kind of a a, a dull pain to watch. Um, I, and I'm also not I've, not. I've never read the book. I'm not a, or or any of the books from that world. So I'm not approaching it as a fan of that. But even if I had, oftentimes I say if if I if there are elements of a book that can be better in a movie or be changed, I don't mind that. I, I mind it if the movie is not as good as the book, if they decide to change things and then it happens to not be as good. This looks to me to be a much better rendition and, and like there's going to be interesting story about the wizard. And that is what I care about. And my goodness, the visuals in this trailer look amazing. I mean, just awesome. The visuals do look impressive. 
I wish I would go back and just tell the original Wizard of Oz story with this kind of production. See, but I don't know that they see that to me. I don't know if I'd use the word unwarranted like you did, but maybe I would say that feels uninteresting. This feels interesting, and there's nothing to say that they can't now go do that. They're they're starting at the beginning, and they're gonna and and the next maybe the next story is about Dorothy. Um, but this this story is is almost like the prequel or the the start or their their starting point. And to me, that's more interesting. Whereas if you were just going to go and tell the same story again, who's who cares about that? I mean. We've had lots of movies doing that same type of thing lately. <clears throat> the Amazing Spider-Man. <clears throat> and uh, it just doesn't usually work as well for me. Did you did you notice that not-so-subtle cough that you made in your last statement? What, what cough? What cough? <laughs> oh, okay. Hey, I find it interesting that the title for this movie, Oz the Great and P- Powerful, is sort of a play on, uh, you know, statements in the original story. The Great and Powerful Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, there is the wonderful Wizard of Oz. That's the, the traditional known story. And Oz the Great and Powerful is actually something that is said of the wizard, and that's something he says of himself in the traditional story and in the Judy Garland film. Right. But it seems to be that the the title, Oz the Great and Powerful for this movie, isn't just referring to the wizard himself, but also the rest of the witches. Uh, so there is Oz the Great and Powerful as in the great and powerful people in Oz, right? Because Oz is the land, not not the wizard, the wizard of Oz, but not that's not his name. So right. So so hopefully there's a bit more merit to the story in that it's not going to totally focus on just the wizard. And you know, I, I reckon that they're going to pay a lot of uh, respect to Oz itself. It appears by the trailer that it's just stunning. Some of the things they've done, like the porcelain doll that comes to life. Mm-hmm. Um, the visuals are very just out of this world. It make it makes Oz look all the more real. Yeah. Um, now, oh, did you ever see the Return to Oz by Disney back in the eighties? Uh, no. Okay, this is really cool. As a side note to the side note, I actually love that film. It was a sequel to the story that is the Wonderful Wizard of Oz. And it's a, it's what happened to Dorothy after she comes back to Kansas and how did her uh, NTM and uncle Henry deal with her when she is either deranged in that she really believes that there's this place called Oz or that she, you know, she is, she's just, is she just making it up. They don't know. So it's a really interesting story. It was all live action and Jim Henson's studio is responsible for puppetry to animate a lot of the characters that were completely original from other novels that L. Frank Baum did after The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. And so there's the, there's these awesome characters like TikTok, who is dubbed the Army of Oz. And he's like a wind-up robot. And he's just a fascinating character. And the way in which he's animated in this film is just utterly captivating. I don't know how they pulled it off. They actually had a midget inside the body of this robot. And then the girl who did the performance of Dorothy, she's a little girl, right? And it wasn't a sing-along, you know, very happy and wonderful, fun, yippee kind of musical movie. It was taken very seriously and uh, presented Oz in sort of a surreal, um, mellow, uh, melancholy, dramatic way. 
uh, just, uh, I thought it was a, a wonderful film. I watched it as a kid and to this day, it's one of my favorite films. I think it has a gorgeous soundtrack and the visuals are just, uh, just amazing. I really wish it had been a hit, but apparently it didn't do too well because back in its day when it came out, so many people had hoped that it would be this, this refreshing, upbeat musical. And it was, it was many ways the opposite. Um, what was the name of the film again? Uh, the Return to Oz. The Return to Oz. Or just, re- just Return to Oz, something like that. It's very hard to find it. Um, I believe it's on Netflix, but you can't, you know, I can't say that I ever found it on Amazon. I've wanted to get my own copy, and I've just never come across. Return to Oz, 1985. Yeah, that's the one. Okay. I will put the IMDb link in the show notes. By the way, uh, if you are listening along and you want to get to the show notes, uh, the show notes are at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 18. All right. So that's in the show notes. All right. Okay, what else so we got, you, Joseph? You, well, speaking of Netflix and, uh, you know, because we were just talking about that, you know, there's a story that Netflix is coming out with their very own television show called House of Cards. Yes. Yes, indeed. Now, now, did I see that Kevin Spacey is in this show? Kevin Spacey is in the show. Uh, I've, I well, want to see this. Yeah. There, there's a part of me that certainly wants to see it. And certainly because of Kevin Spacey, I mean, he's a great actor. But uh, it doesn't really look like my type of show necessarily. But, but, but I find this whole thing interesting. Because we have networks and studios and executives and heads of studios who are dead set against changing the business model. Now, what you know, I would argue and say that the business model is changing whether they want it to or not, but they are dead set against new media. They want everything to be old. They want it to control it the way they always have the, the, over the cable networks and over the air, and they don't want it to be on demand. They, in fact, you know, if they could help it, they wouldn't even let you have a DVR. That They don't want that. Um, so th- I, this is what I find interesting. In order to move and propel the business forward into the modern era, Something like this has to happen, right? Something has to move. Uh, we need to get original content and not network content necessarily, but new networks or online networks. We need to get that content available. And so what Netflix is doing here is great. And this isn't the first show that they're doing this with. Uh, it, it's one of their shows that they're now doing this with. The other one is Arrested Development, which I know nothing about the show. Again, doesn't look like my kind of show. But um, Arrested Development was canceled a couple of years ago. And... Uh, Da, 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 da. On October 2nd, 2011, the entire cast of Arrested Development reunited for a panel at the New Yorker Festival in New York. At the panel, Hurwitz, uh, the show creator, nonetheless declared his intention of producing a truncated fourth season as a lead into a film adaptation. Six years after the series had been canceled by Fox, filming for a revived fourth season, fourth season began August 7th, 2012. Uh, between 10 and 13 episodes of the show's revival season are set to release simultaneously on Netflix in spring of 2013. I'm looking forward to that series uh, reboot or continuation because I I saw some with my wife and she really loved it. And I know a lot of friends that were big fans of the show and it left you hanging. Um, Yeah, it was it was kind of one of those shows like, say, The Office meets 30 Rock. And uh, but in its own way, it was a little bit more zany (laughs) if that's possible. Yeah. Well, (laughs) Um, you know, maybe I should try it out because I do want to support I do want to support this movement. And which is why I'll probably be, at least to some extent, tuning in a little bit to House of Cards. 
you know, House of Cards obviously is going to be some sort of political thriller drama kind of thing. And again, not my, not necessarily my cup of tea, but I might watch it all the same. Here's a synopsis. A ruthless congressman, Francis Underwood, and his ambitious wife, Claire, will stop at nothing to conquer everything. This wicked political drama slithers through the back halls of greed, sex, love, and cor- corruption of modern, in, excuse me, and corruption in modern D.C., so really that's not your cup of tea it sounds no. like the story of your life tj of course yes of course it does now the I, I do see it looks to me like netflix is making a little bit of a mistake the idea here is to get people interested wouldn't you say well you, definitely you want people to watch this show and you want people to get new netflix subscriptions to watch this show but in order to watch the trailer i, I link to the trailer i can't embed it because netflix won't let you and i couldn't find the trailer anywhere else uh, in order to watch this trailer, you have to click through and go to Netflix, and you have to be a member of Netflix and have a login. So that's not really helpful. That's so kind of wild. It feels like they don't quite know what they're doing here. They, they they really need to make that trailer available on YouTube or something. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um, it sounds to me like Netflix's uh, business model. They're really good at what they do, and that is, you know, circulating DVDs and instant play movies. <laughs> they're they're breaking a lot of ground here, and I mean, I'm really impressed by the cast that they've got collected. And it sounds like they might be trying to angle the story as a political drama, in the spirit of something like what we've come to expect from uh, what is the station Showtime, or maybe. Maybe even the likes of HBO. I mean, you you got some real serious star talent with with Kevin Spacey. Yeah, but definitely. It, do, it doesn't sound like something. Well, I, clearly, this is something that Netflix has never done before. So, I I think that like you, you know you're pointing out the fact that they don't have the trailer anywhere else. This uh, is crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Or or yeah, as Merlin I, I might mean, say, it's crazy making. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess we're just gonna have to wait and find out. I, I'll definitely be adding this to my queue. Yeah, well, I've I have for those of you who have uh, a login with Netflix, and you can sign up for a free trial if you want to waste your free trial on watching this trailer. You can do that and then you know let it go and not not continue it. But uh, I have put the link in the show notes if you want to watch the trailer. Uh, you can do that. Now you had mentioned that there was something else you wanted to talk about. Did you get to that? Oh, let me find out. Uh, it was uh, the Oz movie. You're right. And then you know, I, was, I got distracted when you uh, when you moved on to because I didn't oh, realize. Yeah. Right. The other thing though you wanted to talk about was Vader's dead body returns. Um, oh, and we did that. So no, right. I think okay. that's it for me. Let me just browse here and yeah, that's fine. Well, then We're TJ, good. you know what I want to talk about? I do know what you want to talk about. Why don't you tell us? Okay, I want to talk about the movie that came out last weekend and why it could possibly be the best of all James Bond movies. Yeah, and I, I actually wouldn't know that because I'm not a huge James Bond fan, so maybe I'm not the best person to talk about this. I haven't seen any of the movies except by Daniel Craig. So mm-hmm. this was certainly okay. this was certainly the best of the Daniel Craig Bonds, for sure. You think so? Oh, for sure. Mm. Most certainly. All right. Well, I mean, you're entitled to your opinion. Uh, (laughs) Real quick, let let me give the people the intro, the summary here about Skyfall. I'm sure that everyone here already knows that this is a Bond film, and I'm sorry to uh, bring that up again. I don't need to reintroduce Bond. I don't mean to. But we're going to introduce you to this 23rd of the Bond films, Skyfall. 
is the 23rd spy film in the James Bond series produced by Eon Productions and distributed by MGM and Sony Pictures Entertainment. It features Daniel Craig's third performance as James Bond in Javier Bardem as Raul Silva, the film's antagonist. The film was written by John Logan, Neil Purvis, and Robert Wade and directed by Sam Mendes. In this movie, Skyfall, Bond's loyalty to M is tested as her past comes back to haunt her and the rest of MI6. As MI6 comes under attack, 007 must track down and destroy the threat, no matter how personal the cost. Bond must face his traumatic past to overcome an overwhelming enemy. And I guess it kind of goes without saying that this would include an overwhelming enemy because this is a Bond film after all, right? Of course. <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, Skyfall. So uh, what was your first impression? My first impression was that it was a fine film, but that it had been way overhyped. That that was okay. my first impression. Like, I, I have no problem with the film per se. I have a problem with A, what in the world are people raving about? And B... Uh, why did the trailer make it feel like a different film than what I wound up watching? I, I'm with you, but you know what's funny is that I didn't know what critics and the fans were saying until I'd already seen the movie, made up my own mind, and then I get online and I'm right, like, what? what's the disconnect here? Rotten Tomatoes, the critics are giving it a 91 and the audience is giving it a 91. IMDb is giving it an 8.1 on a 1 to 10 scale. Yeah. I just didn't it's, see it. It's a um, little bit crazy. Now, you know, I, I feel like I've formed my opinion on my own, but I couldn't help but notice just how many people, especially because it had its premiere uh, over in Europe, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, and they've already well more than made their money back over there. And now they're coming over here and they've opened up the film. Uh, I just don't understand what's so great about it. Yeah. It's it's again, it's fine. Uh, it's easily three and a half stars uh, for me, which I haven't written my review yet, but that's what I plan on giving it at this point. Oh, okay, yeah, I was going to give it three and a half too. So, uh, and 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 three and a half stars is a fine film. When I give a film three and a half stars, it means I will probably be watching it again. Uh, yeah. So, I, I, so in that regard, on its own and by itself, yes, it's a fine film. I just don't get, you know, Ebert gave it, uh, and his rating system, I believe, is a four-star rating system. He gave it four stars. Oh, come on, Ebert, come on. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I don't always hold with Ebert, but... Uh, yeah, you know, even my boss here at work today, he ever, uh, I was um, filling him in on what my, I, my impression of, of the movie was. He and I have fairly similar taste, and then it was his and my upper superior who came along and asked us, Hey, have you seen that new bond film? It's great. And it just kind of made us chuckle to ourselves because we're like, okay, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just don't see why this is supposed to be the best bond film. Um, we could divulge all kinds of spoiler related content. You want to get, I want to get to that in a minute to kind of sure. hash out some of the reasons why this could be considered the, uh, one of the better bond films and why, I personally think for the same reasons, it's not. Uh, real quick, it was in theaters in the U.S. on November 9th, and it was in uh, theaters over in U.K. October the 23rd. And the budget is an estimated $200 million, And I think that all that money was well spent. <laughs> what did you think? Oh, sure. Uh, technically executed very well and, and money well spent, sure. And there were some great sequences uh, that you could tell they had spent money on. I mean, no, no question there. 
Yeah. Just uh, the, the beginning was far more interesting, far more exciting than the likes of the Quantum Solace uh, beginning, or um, oh, yeah. which was a, actually a huge letdown after the finale of Casino Real. I expected so much more for the beginning of Quantum Solace. And then uh, Casino Royale's was no slacker either. But yes, Skyfall, in terms of just the the most action-esque of the action scenes, um, just, uh, wow, amazing fun. Um, yeah. At least ways, the, the first 15 minutes were, were very thrilling. Yeah, and I really liked uh, the way this film opened better than the previous two Craig Bond films. Uh, you know, it, it opened right up, got right in, and I really liked... Uh, the opening title sequence. Um, I, I did not like the opening title sequences on the on the previous two Bond films at all. And uh, you know, as a, I'm sorry, as as a a filmmaker to some extent, uh, I really get into those sorts of details, and uh, I really feel like the tone of the film is set uh, with with how you open the film, and if you have an opening title sequence, how the opening title sequence unfolds. I, I really, you know. Well, it's a, it's a Bond film tradition, so yeah. they had to do it. Yep. They, I don't think there'll ever be a Bond film without the opening title sequence. And there may not ever be a Bond film that doesn't say at the end in the credits, Bond will return. I mean, even the last one will probably still say Bond will return. Yeah, um, well, and this one certainly did. <laughs> yeah, and I can see that they're probably going to make that happen, whether Daniel Craig is dead or alive or, you know, oh, yeah. well, uh, a beard and refuses to shave it off. They'll have another Bond film. I'm looking it up on the fly here, but I know that there is a, a fourth one in production, a fourth Daniel Craig, uh, James Bond in production uh, already. It's being written. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's up in age now, and I don't think that that's an altogether problem for the character of James Bond. I think he can be an older character. What do you think? Uh, I suppose I hadn't you know, really given Sean it much Connery, thought. And, and, Sean Connery played it a few times when he was upper in age, and it worked okay. But I think all in all, you kind of prefer that Bond be a bit younger so that he he uh, makes a bit more sense to be hanging out with all these attractive young women. But uh, <laughs> sure. it's not absolutely imperative that he be but, younger. It just uh, makes you, a bit more sense. You know, at the same time, I appreciate movies that, that allow, as they movie series, I should say, that allow the character and the cast to age and uh that certainly seemed to be the angle they're taking to age with grace sure that certainly seems to be the angle they're taking with daniel craig although i felt like it was a bit early to be going there this film certainly made a deal about how maybe maybe uh daniel craig as james bond was getting too old and i thought well we've only had three movies with this guy what's up with that uh <laughs> but you know I, they certainly seem to be going there with it i think that's that it's just uh they're kind of um they're kind of you know, stuck with uh, the age progression of Daniel Craig. I mean, if if Daniel Craig's hair turns all white, then he's going to be called Grandpa in the next film. <laughs> you know that, or they're going to dye his hair, you know, blonde again. I would I would say they would dye his hair. <laughs> okay, okay. So just a few other interesting uh, tr- pieces of trivia. Um, like we said, the the budget was two hundred million. Opening weekend, it made eighty eight million back, um, and then. Well, I'm sorry, which opening weekend is that? Are you talking about overseas where it opened or are you talking about here? I believe that was the opening. Huh? Well, you know what? I don't know. Do you have it? I don't. Like uh, Box Office Mojo just says the uh, foreign $429 million. It doesn't say what the opening weekend was over there. It only gives us our opening weekend. Okay, yeah. The domestic opening is, yeah, uh, $88 million, And it just says it for the U.S. Okay. 
Okay. And then uh, to, uh, to date, it has grossed $538,730,000. And that's worldwide. So it's it's certainly there will certainly be another Bond film at this <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah, this this is going to be a bit popular film from now through Christmas, and no doubt it's going to be a popular sell when it gets to Blu-ray too. Yeah. Now I'm guessing that this film came out too late to make it to Blu-ray and DVD before Christmas for Christmas oh, presents. Yeah, of course, so, no doubt it's yeah. yeah. It's, this is going to be coming out in the summertime on DVD. Yep. Blu-ray. Yep. Yep. Now you know one of the things I think that has bugged me about the Daniel Craig Bond. And I don't know for sure how it was with other Bonds, but I, I, I guess in my mind, I had always envisioned James Bond as a, as a thinking character. Yes, there's action, but almost as if action is there to serve James Bond when he needs it, but he, it's not like he just he mm. it's not like he just blunders into a place and just starts beating people up. And that Daniel Craig Bond <laughs> seems to be that sort of character like it's mostly action driven he doesn't do a lot of thinking uh, and i had always felt like i guess maybe perhaps this is a misconception but i always yeah, thought that, bond was more of a thinking character no that is a misconception and, and it's one of the reasons why bond has been who he has been it's one of his characteristics he just flies by the seat of his pants he's okay. this incredibly confident uh typically arrogant but definitely confident um courageous just uh devil may care go getter who does exactly what he needs to do he he's never afraid he he may sometimes you could see sometimes in his eyes that he doesn't necessarily have a plan and he's he's working really fast his wheels are really turning fast Mm -hmm. to come up with a plan but never does that mean he loses his edge um that was one thing i liked about this film that they demonstrated that without losing his courage he was losing his edge because uh of his shaking hand the after a, a series of um uh, crazy es- escapades um bond it has to be retested when he gets back to mi6 to uh prove whether or not he's worthy of going back on the field and in those series of tests he thinks he barely made it he barely passed but he actually didn't pass the tests and in, in the biggest problem was that he he was just terrible at the target practice. He couldn't he couldn't maintain keeping his hands still. But not like the sergeant say in Saving Private Ryan, who who was just dealing with his post traumatic stress syndrome during the war, in the midst of Saving Private Ryan, who couldn't keep his hands still. This Bond is just. He is still calm. He is still collected, but he's lost his edge, and it's because of a series of difficult situations he's experienced. And now, I thought that was kind of clever. That was just something I liked. I liked some of the character development with Bond. A few of the things they did that were firsts in this film. Yeah, and I guess that's what I was kind of getting at, and and perhaps why I consider this the better film of the three, uh, is... Regardless of whether my, mis- my I had a misconception about who Bond was, that is the type of film I like, is that the action is there to serve the thought process. You know, I, I like a film that's not just mindless action. And this film, of all the Daniel Craig Bond films, felt a little more like that. I would still say it was a little action-heavy and not, not enough thinking, but it was better. Well, now we're getting into a few of my dislikes, because... On the one hand, I like it that Bond's character has a progression. 
and they introduce a lot of the characters or um, you know qualities of the classic Bond mythos that we really enjoyed. Um, you know, grant you we're in the we're in the spoiler section, people. So if you don't want to hear the spoilers, then please turn off the podcast and no, finish well, listening to it after you've caught it in the theater. Don't turn off the podcast. Shame on you if you haven't seen it. That's all. We we want you to listen. <laughs> oh right, shame on me. I'm sorry, I misspoke. And shame on you if you've not watched the movie already. There you go. That's better. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it just it frustrates me that we now know so much about Bond that there doesn't appear to be any secrets left. And I find his character now to be lacking because I know too much of his backstory. Mm. I I reckon that they could still explore a few things, like they could, uh, you know, they could beg the question. Why were his parents killed? Um, they didn't explore that. They just introduced the fact that when he was a young boy, his parents were killed uh, traumatically in their home, that James as a little boy had to deal with it and man up um, a bit prematurely. And then because of his um, him being an orphan and then, you know, uh, the academy, or the, not the academy, but MI6 was interested in him because he was a, a better, a, a potential better spy. Because yeah. he was an orphan, I just I don't want to know this much about James Bond's backstory. No, I disagree. I never think that backstory is a bad thing. But I think they, I think they could easily also make more story there. Like like uh, the killing of James Bond's parents could be something malicious that that has you know that he could still face. But see, here's the thing: is that uh, you know Bond is a classic hero character. Now he, he's been around for 50 years and you know what? For, for 50 years, we didn't need to know his backstory to make him work. You know, of course there were some dark days and there were some pretty lousy movies in the middle of the 23 films that they've got up to date. But for the most part, James Bond's character wasn't the fault of any of those films. It had to do with the story, the director, the direction of the story Mm -hmm. and Bond has just worked in spite of the fact that we didn't know much about his own personal life. And I think that that was kind of characteristic of him, that Superman has a cape, Batman has a utility belt, Indiana Jones wears a fedora, and he has an awesome archaeological father, an archaeologist father, and that's where he got his, his, uh, you know, his, his own career. And in and, and, and as much as... Indiana Jones backstory is key to who Indiana Jones is. I felt that Bond was just ever so unique and that we didn't have to know much about Bond. Hmm. I thought he was really cool that he was the guy who his past didn't bother him. It didn't phase him and it didn't matter. What mattered was his mission at hand and his devotion to his country. Um, the fact that, you know, nothing could phase him. It was just as, you know, critical or characteristic, I should say, of Bond as the red cape is on Superman. The day they take the cape off Superman, he's not Superman. He is another, he is another hero altogether that they call Superman. Yeah, because guess. that cape is part of who he is. And I felt the same way about the fact that Bond was just 007. Oh, you know what? Our friend Stuart, he made a good point too. He was saying that, uh, for the record, he was hoping that this film or future films would explore the idea that James Bond wasn't his real name, but that it was it was like you know his alias, 
Because、mm. why? Why would they want to expose a a spy by allowing him to use his own real name? That double O seven is a code name, and that James Bond should be a code name as well. And if that was the case, then it, it would have made it possible, conceivable, that for the last twenty three films, every person who has played James Bond could have been one of the Bonds in a series of Bonds for the last fifty years. <laughs> that the mantle of this this spy and his role that he must play could have been passed down from one James Bond to the next. I thought that would have been a really cool idea. You guys are overthinking it, Stuart. You're overthinking it. <laughs> <laughs> By the way,、uh, for those who may or may not remember or may may not have listened,、uh, Stuart was a guest on episode 13 where we talked about the Matrix. So、uh, great,、and、great、Stuart、guy. Will return. Uh, he will return. We wanted to get him back for Cloud Atlas. He was unavailable. So,、uh, but anyway, I'll put that show in the show notes in case anybody wants to catch up with Stewart. So, so yeah, you, on the、uh, one hand, you want depth to James Bond's character, but you don't want something clever like this, well, this series of various Bonds. Yeah. See that?、Uh, see that's interesting. I, that that just doesn't sound interesting to me, though. That I that sounds cheesy. It sounds corny. I don't know if 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 they had pulled it off, I think it would have been better than knowing that his parents were killed when he was a boy, and he's a, you know, got a tragic backstory like every other no, hero.、Um, I I think it's fine. Now、uh, there was a, I, I I'm given to understand, not being a, a big Bond guy myself, but I'm given to understand that the, there was a big reveal, a big、uh, surprise at the very end of the film, like in the last two minutes. And that is the revelation of who Naomi Harris plays. Oh, are you kidding me? I saw that coming a mile away. Really? I saw I saw that coming before the end of the opening action sequence, and I, I loved that action sequence. But I thought to myself, Bond doesn't have a sidekick. Who else could this girl be? Okay. And I don't know why it just it dawned on me. I was like, oh, you know what? You know, this is out with the old M, in with the new Q. No, not, no, 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 not not that though. The big reveal is is who Eve was. I'm getting confused. Which one was Eve?、Uh, Naomi Harris, Eve, Agent Eve, shot him in the beginning of the film. Yeah, she ends up as a、uh, Money Penny. Money Penny, right? Is that、uh, is that where you were going? You were talking about Ray Fiennes. I may, may have misunderstood. No, no, no. I'm just saying that they were they were bringing back all the characters that were absent from Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. I see. And and now that meant that well, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring in a male M, and if you're gonna bring in Q, who is essentially dealing with technology, although he's not older and you know more sage than James, that it, it also made sense when they brought in this new female character. I was like, you know what, for this generation. It isn't cool to be the money penny of of the past. Money penny typically pined over James, and you know she admired him dearly, and she really wanted to be one of his Bond girls, and she never stood a chance. But James always, you know, he always kind of toyed with her, and he always kind of toyed with her heart.、Um, And, and their exchanges were kind of fun in the old older films. She she was definitely a fun, light hearted character in the mix. Mm. So, so even though this character had very little in common with the original Money Penny, I just I don't know. It just occurred to me. I was like, well, with all these other cast character changes and change ups and you know progressions for MI6, I bet you this is the new Money Penny. I don't know what how how a, 
a long-term fan couldn't have seen that. Well, I think you were one of the few because from what I'm given to understand, that was a surprise to a lot of people. Now, the, the, the surprise for me was that not only did M die, but they introduced the new M. I don't know why and, that And didn't we have already sounded the spoiler alert, but you should have said spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had already made it very clear that our audience has seen this film. Yes, yes. Well, um, yeah, I, you know, that's that's one of my major dislikes is we go through – I don't like it. This, it's the same reason, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I don't like Battlestar Galactica. I don't like it when you get to the end of a plot and the whole plot was for naught. And everything that, that – that James Bond did to save her and she died anyway. And yeah, what, yeah, this what, was, what the heck this was, that, that single-handedly brought the whole, re- my, my rating down by one whole star easily. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe that's one of the reasons the critics like it so much because James Bond has always had mission accomplished stamped on all of his movies. And in this one, it was mission fail. <laughs> and yet somehow that succeeds. Right. Like <laughs> what thunk. was the success story here? I, I it just wasn't, it just didn't work for me at, on well, any I level. I didn't need him to be a success. I was just annoyed that so many people should die in the process of trying to save M. And then when she dies, they give meaning to her death, but then they just gloss over all these other people who died in, in her path. Um, that that was kind of disappointing to me. That all these other people, ah, screw them. They they were expendable. All we care about is M. And then when M dies, it's like, I, I, I just, you know, it, it, yeah, it just, it, it just kind of cheapened it 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 objectified everybody else's death and all all these people who died for M, and then M died, you know, so <laughs> that that's what disappointed me about that regard. Yeah, you know, I again, like I said, I enjoyed the film for what it was. That that was a major disappointment of mine. Well, uh, I'm, I know we I know we're just being a huge wet blanket for everybody. I, I, it's not like we didn't enjoy the films, like you said. We, you and I both would give it three and a half stars, and it's definitely not a bad Bond film. There are some fi- Bond films that are they're just bad. But if I had to rate it uh, alongside of Daniel Craig's other two, I would personally say that because I loved the impact of Vesper the leading lady character interest uh, for Bond in uh, Casino Royale. I loved the impact that she made on James Bond that because she was so significant to the story, it was a turning point in James Bond films in that it was the first time a leading lady was deeply loved by Bond and not just toyed with by Bond. You know, that it wasn't that they just got a brief relationship started when she died. And then Bond said, Oh, shucks and moved on, you know, this time, it really deeply moved him, and that's at the course for some of the characteristics of this Bond by Daniel Craig for the next two films. Right. Well, I, my impression I, was that, that that was kind of how they were explaining how Bond got so calloused and, and hard towards women and why he just basically used them for his own you know, purposes. And then that, right. You know, but we had never seen that before. Casino Royale. So it really helped to see. Oh, that. so now you want backstory. I see how this is, how this works. Uh, no, it wasn't backstory. It was present story that explained <laughs> all the previous films. Okay. Have it your way. Um, there's one other thing I want to talk about now I'm, I'm done is the villain. And you and I both, I think made the observation. I think you made it to me in a, in a iMessage or a chat. Um, and I agreed that what they were kind of going for with the villain was a little bit Joker-esque. And I say, I use Joker as in from the Dark Knight uh, of Batman. Um, and in that they were trying to make him larger than life 
and scary and no sense of anything, like no restraint. You know, I believe you were the one that made that observation to me. Was that you? Yeah. And I agreed that I thought that's what they're trying to do. And I think that is what they were trying to do. I think they failed a little bit. Um, he, he, he was certainly a bad guy, but there was something a little bit off about the, the performance or something. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Um, he wasn't the best. He wasn't the worst villain. Um, you know, after all, going all the way back to, uh, you know, I think his name was Dr. No or something like that in the very first Bond film, the first villain. Uh-huh. Um, the, the Bond villains themselves are not always, um, you know, just extraordinary villains. But it's the the reason you enjoy a Bond film is for Bond himself, the crazy adventures, the the gorgeous locales that he is presented with to do his chases and, and fights in, and the crazy, fun, bizarre technologies. Uh, you know the the uh, the banter between characters like the leading ladies and Bond. Those are those are fun things, and then the villains. They're there just to make it over the top really effectively. And uh, so some of them pay off as being interesting characters too, but that doesn't always happen. Um, But the problem for this villain for me is that he didn't keep the energy up during the second act. No, not at all. He he didn't keep it interesting. It, it, It got a little tiresome. It dragged a bit in the middle. It just got, there was many lulls where you're kind of wondering, is this going to have an epic ending? Is this going to have right. some real jazz at the end or well, not? Okay, like with because the-, the majority of the middle was somewhat of a snoozer for Bonds, you know, on a Bond scale. Well, and frankly, the end was too. I mean, what it came down to was quite different. Like, okay, if they're trying to go for a Joker-esque kind of thing, Joker uh, had a very serious plot that kind of backfired on him, but it was still, he was, it was a very uh, well-thought-out, well-executed plot to really drive Batman crazy. And what it came down to with Silva was, I'm just going to blow up your house and stuff. And, and you're like, okay, that <laughs> was his, your, ma- and, that was your master plan. Yeah. And you know what? That's another thing too. The most exciting things, the most interesting things pertaining to the villain happened in the first half of the film The you know, the, the greater um, intensity, the more dire straits, the, the, the stranger, the things he had done, it happened in the first half. It, it, it come the end. It, it, it you know, it, it, it pertains to a completely different setting. Bond chose where the finale should occur, the final showdown, and that doesn't usually happen either. Um, usually, the villains pick the the place for the showdown. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that was part of the problem too. It's just. Um, yeah, I, I would describe the ending of this film as anticlimactic, and that you, you know that was part of my problem with it. Uh, one other thing I wanted to say, and then I'm done, is that it appears to me, by all appearances, that when they developed this backstory for James, that the filmmakers probably had in mind to pay pay a lot of uh, homage to Sean Connery being the first Bond. Definitely. In that, it, yeah, I mean, like. It, it seemed to be posed that Bond was an Englishman in the earlier uh, incarnations, but then with this film, they they return to his roots and they reveal that he was born and raised in Scotland, in the heart of Scotland, and and so when you see him there, you you can't help but think, huh, 
well, where's Sean Connery in all this? <laughs> or, you know, where's, where's his special cameo? And then lo and behold, it, it, you're only into the scenes involving Scotland near the end of the film for a f- few short moments when they introduce this older uh, character, family friend of the Bonds, who ends up there with them for the showdown. And I thought to myself, oh, that's kind of odd. It's an older man. He's Scottish. He lives in the heart of Scotland. And he's a family friend of the Bonds. And he's an old man. And he's, he's waving around guns. And I was like, you know what? It, d- it just wouldn't be, a, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if it was revealed one day that the producers had hoped to snag Sean Connery to play that role. <laughs> Maybe. That they really wanted him there for, you know, a nice little tie-in. And uh, it would have made perfect sense. The, as it is, the character was fun. And I really enjoyed the performance by Robert Finney. Yeah, I've seen him in several other uh, television movies, BBC movies, um, and the likes. He's great. Great performance. For a, a, a something of a throwaway character, though. Yeah, he certainly was kind of a throwaway character. Now, for, uh, for those who may not know, uh, I, and I thought he looked familiar in uh, when I was in the theater, and I looked him up on IMDb. This is the same guy who played uh, Dr. Albert Hirsch in The Bourne Ultimatum. Mm. Oh, so. yeah. Huh. Well, now he has a tie-in to the American version of Bond and, <laughs> <laughs> and Bond himself. Yeah. Well, okay, that's well, all that's I've got. Wrap. Is that yeah. all you've got? Yeah, uh, I, I guess yeah, three and a half stars, people. Yeah, and if and if uh, you feel different, tell us. Leave a comment. All right. So next week we're going to be talking about now, Joseph. Again, I didn't get a chance to work on this outline. Do we want to talk about this film? Are people going to be okay with that? They're not going to be throwing uh, fruit at us and tomatoes. And is that okay? Next week. Next, next week. week. Uh. Uh. Not Lincoln, but the other one. <laughs> oh, well, um, on the dark side of next week's episode, we are going to talk about Breaking Dawn Part 2. Uh, I, I, you know, I will enjoy the film, and I, I will be watching it. Um, actually, my uh, sister-in-law is coming into town, and she has expressed interest in going with Rachel and I to uh, see the film. And so we'll be seeing it, and... Uh, I will enjoy it. I don't know how much of our audience will enjoy it. Bear with us. It'll only be one week, people. And we're all going to talk, not just going to talk about Breaking Dawn. We're going to talk about Lincoln as well, uh, which I uh, I guess I'll see. I just am not looking forward to that. But Yeah, I think it'll be one of Steven Spielberg's better um, films of recent years. So I'm looking forward to Lincoln in spite of the fact that I'm not crazy about probably what they're going to do in the story in this film. I you know what? It's going to have a great cast. It's going to have a great screenplay. Well, for as, as, what the movie is, apart from the history, I, I think it's going to be fun. As a mutual friend of ours, Joseph, told me a couple days ago, I was, I was talking with him, I run, ran into him the other night, uh, Isaac Botkin. He was telling me it will be, he thinks it will be a horribly beautiful film. <laughs> that, is, that is the right description. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I, 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 he, unless I'm really mistaken, I just can't see how this film is going to get away from the historical revisionism. And, uh, yeah, so there you have it, Breaking Dawn or Lincoln, and we will help you decide which one is the lesser of two weevils to go see. Breaking so. Dawn, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, 
I I will try to watch Lincoln. Uh, that way I can speak to it authoritatively. Uh, you know, I meant to uh, say we were going to talk about The Amazing Spider-Man this week since I finally got a chance to watch it, but uh, I guess we'll save that. Maybe we'll talk about that just briefly next week. Yeah, please. Yeah, that'd be good. All right. So, Joseph, uh, where will people be able to find you if they you want to find me you? on the internets at Facebook? I'm Joseph Darnell. So Facebook.com slash Joseph Darnell or to make it easier for you, I'm Joseph So just go there and it takes you to my profile. And if you want to get me on Twitter, my username is Joseph Darnell and my personal site is jivingjackalope.com. You and are the where- jiving jackalope. Uh, no, I'm not the jiving jackalope. Oh, you're he is not. my friend. Okay, okay. And I he's, a, he's sort of a puka like Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I am also on Twitter. That is my preferred social network for uh, most things. Uh, my username is TJ Draper Pro. I am on Facebook, facebook.com slash TJ Draper. Um, you know what? I, I do have a website I'm going to direct you to. Uh, it's not buzzingpixel.com because I hardly write there anymore since MovieByte is taking all of my time. But I do want to direct you to buzzingpixelcreative.com. Uh, you know, I design websites and things, and the cobbler's children always seem to go without shoes. I threw that site together as quickly as I could. I was in a rush. I didn't have any money. But I am directing you there because uh, I do design websites and edit films. And if you want to hire me, you can do that. So buzzingpixelcreative.com. All right, well, that wraps up this week's episode. Uh, Please be sure to rate us in iTunes if you like the show. Don't forget to uh, sign up for our giveaway if you haven't done so, moviebyte.com slash giveaway. Yeah, uh, uh, to uh, enter into a chance to win a 47-inch 1080p TV and a year's subscription of Netflix Instant Place. A really good deal. I promise you it's totally legit, and there's a good chance you could win, so sign up. Yeah. And please share it with your friends. We, uh, we really want you to do that, and we want everybody to have a chance to win. All right, well, I think that wraps it up. Thanks, TJ. Have a good night. All right. <laughs>